Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. on the YouTube by searching Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. Joining me as always is my cheesehead loving buddy Trevor. He's host of the Packers Trilogy podcast, writes for the Dairyland Express about all Wisconsin sports and can be found on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is not joining me until the interview portion of this podcast in which we have Paul, our payroll guru, joining us here today. He discusses a lot of things that... We had no clue existed in the financing world of baseball. Definitely a very good listen in this interview coming up here. And again, that is Paul. He can be found at Brewers Number. His little his little script here on Twitter says, Curious about the finances of Brewers and baseball. Not an expert yet, but let me tell you. We learned a lot about some things that we had never considered that the Brewers have to take into to account when figuring out how to put together a team each and every season. So Trevor and I were definitely not the experts on this. I mean, we're still trying to figure out how to manage student debt yet. So uh, Paul does a really good job of going through everything. And without further ado, we are going to get to that interview. So here it is. And welcome to the podcast, Paul from at Brewers Numbers on Twitter. He is joining us today to talk a little bit more about the financing side of baseball relating to the Milwaukee Brewers. So, Paul, welcome, and why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you kind of got into this kind of thing, and yeah, we're glad to have you today. Oh, thank you for having me. I've been a Brewers fan for a long time, grew up in Wisconsin. I remember the 82 Brewers, and uh, I was a really huge fan up until 94 with the strike. After that, I kind of drifted off, and I've started coming back now, especially since about 2017. I started listening to more podcasts, and as people were talking about things like salaries and how much money is in baseball, it just never really made a lot of sense to me. I mean, you, you know how much people are getting paid and stuff, but when they start talking about the financials, they kind of make these generalizations that, from a business standpoint don't make sense. They make the owners sound like these supervillains, which maybe they are, but they're not the greatest businessmen in the world. They're not taking advantage of Fox. Fox is going to be able to negotiate with them and do whatever they need to do to make sure that they protect their product and they get value out of what they're paying uh, MLB. 
I have a background in data analytics, and I'm used to looking at company financials, mainly around process improvement. So I'm used to looking at accounting type figures, and it, it just kind of seemed natural that I drift into this with baseball. Yeah, that is a really good background to have because I have a hard enough time managing my own checking account. So, so like when I try and play GM or owner and make all these moves, there are a lot of things that I don't take into consideration. So I was glad you're able to join us today because you're going to be our expert on this situation here. And the first thing I really wanted to dive into was just kind of the overall operating payroll numbers for next season, for the 2021 season. Everyone expects it to be down. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what you think it might be? Is there a range or are there like certain aspects of like what goes into a total payroll that most of us general fans don't take into consideration? Well, there are things that fans don't take into consideration. If you look at the competitive balance tax uh, calculations, uh, not only does it include payroll, it also includes employee benefits and a little bit of the 40-man, even though most payroll is just about the the active roster. So I usually see estimates of about $15 million for player benefits, and, and that's probably just a, a filler figure. It could be plus or minus 10% for, well, probably plus 10% from that. So when you're talking about Brewers payroll, you're really talking about not only the 85 million that they're probably hinting at this year, but another 15 to 20 for all the the expenses, and then there's a little extra too. If you looked at like 2019 when they had a payroll of like a, about 120 something for competitive balance tax purposes, it was actually one, near one 150 million. So there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't get discussed. They have to take that into account, but that's kind of a constant thing anyway. So even if the payroll's 85 million, it's still going to be plus 15 million. That's probably more important when you get into why they wanted to cancel the season, because then they could save that money too and not just save on the payroll. But this year, it really sounds like they're going to be down a bit but I never heard any interview or any conversation with Mark Anastasio or David Stearns that put a hard number on it. They never put a hard number on anything, right? They talk about it, there being challenges and stuff, but I never heard anything specifically that they're going to hit a cap. Tom Hardicourt estimated that it's going to be somewhere in the 80 to 85 million range. And then I, I heard the other day Robert Murray saying that Marcus Simeon was too expensive for them which is disappointing, but um, I'm thinking that their opening day payroll, that being the 26 man, is probably going to be about $85 million. Okay. If you're expecting around there, Marcus Simeon was a great point because he had a down year last year in the shortened season, so many fans are like, okay, maybe his, his value would be down a little bit. What do you think like the max amount of money the Brewers could spend on a free agent this offseason is if Marcus Simeon is already above what we could get. And I really wish they'd go after Marcus Simeon. (laughs) I'd like Orlando Arcia, but I think you have to look at the team and figure out where you can get more runs. You you know, they think about pitchers as outgetters. They should think about fielders as run getters. 
So if you can improve at any of those positions, and they're probably only going to get a lot of improvement from the infield, if you can get somebody like Marcus Simeon, who, yeah, is coming off a down year, uh, next year is supposed to be the the premier shortstop class. So you know if you want a shortstop next year, you're really going to be paying for it. And anybody who wants a really good shortstop is probably going to make do with whatever they, whatever players they have this year so that they can compete next year for those. So that leaves Marcus Simeon and Didi Gregarius and uh, one other, Simmons. I think that they could do Marcus Simeon and still kind of be in the 85 to 90 million range. And the way it is, and this leads into how much money they have for it. So... Right now, when I do my payroll estimates, I base it on actual 26-man. If the, if the season started tomorrow, these are the players that are going to be playing. And I have it at $73.4 million right now. So if we're talking about 85, that means there's about $14 million there that they could use to sign people. But that's not the entirety of it. So because I have the full 26-man listed here, if they add four people, they're going to take four people off, probably pre-R players, right? You know, they'll drop Mark Mathias, and I don't think Nottingham will be on the team, and neither will Ray Black. Tyroon Taylor will probably go back to AAA. So that's another $2.3 million. So now we're talking about almost $16.5 million. And then also in my estimates... I have Josh Hader getting $6.8 million in arbitration and Brandon Woodruff getting about 4.5. Those are the high-end estimates from MLB trade rumors. I did that because that's kind of like the, for the Brewers, the worst case scenario. So if I was planning, that's what I would be planning for. I think Hader will get the 6.8 or something around there, but uh, I'm not sure Woodruff would. So there's potentially another 2.2 million there. So now we're talking about 18 million. Yeah, and I think that's fair to think that because, you know, Josh Hader didn't get the money that he likely could have last year, or at least it felt like he could have deserved that. But they, the courts kind of decided with the Brewers or closer to where the Brewers were. So I want to jump ahead here a little bit. And you mentioned Brandon Woodruff. So, like, what are some of the possibilities for a contract extension if they would do that rather than let this go through the arbitration process for him? Well, Brandon Woodruff is a Super 2 player, so he's got four ARB years. So if you're buying out his arbitration years, you got to put out four years and probably at least one free agent year, and you can do multiple options after that, kind of like the Braves did with uh, Albies. I was looking for comps to kind of where Woodruff is, and James Paxton is actually a really good comp. And James Paxton kind of started at the 2.3 million, which is where Woodruff is, and then he jumped to five, about 8.5, and then his last year of arbitration was 12.5. You know, Paxton is one of those pitchers who was like a two to three WAR pitcher, which Woodruff is right now. So. That if you add in a free agent year there, at say 16 million, now you're talking about a five-year contract for somewhere around 44 million. I don't think the Brewers actually do that. <laughs> Would it be more beneficial, like if the Brewers say they play the arbitration system for a couple years and then buy out 
I don't know, say his last two years of arbitration, then plus a year of free agency. Is it is it better to do that, or does it not make as much sense? Because I think Woodruff, if he continues to perform, might get more in arbitration, or am I wrong in saying that? So he could get more, but the only way he's really going to get more is if he starts getting Cy Young votes and maybe MVP votes, and he jumps to being a like a four or five war pitcher like Max Scherzer. You know, Woodruff's good, and he's the number one on the Brewers right now. But if he went to, say, the Mets, he'd be their number four pitcher. If he was at on the Nationals, he'd be their number three. So it's kind of relative here. I don't think the Brewers do it because a five-year contract is risky especially expecting him to perform at the level that he he is and he's had a little bit trouble a little bit of trouble with injuries but nothing too bad to worry about yet i do think that maybe they think about it if it's the third year of arbitration and he's still performing at a higher level but the five years at 44 million i think is a fair contract that both sides might do but i think the brewers would consider it too risky and, you know, you look at the Peralta contract that they did, there's no risk for the Brewers there. No, unfortunately, those aren't the quite two, they're not the same caliber players, unfortunately. No, but, that's true. But, you know, they did buy out what is a reasonable amount of his arbitration. Right. You're, what, five years, 45 or 44 mils, nine-ish mil a year for Woodruff, give or take a little bit in there. So that's tough. I mean, I feel like long-term the Brewers would be okay but up front you're giving a little bit more obviously than than what he would these first couple of years but yeah if he would develop and become you know like you said get some Cy Young votes or MVP votes whatever then that's an obvious win for the Brewers but there is some risk with that is there any other like extension candidates because you mentioned like getting Cy Young awards or Cy Young votes and I'm like oh man if Corbin Burns has got the stuff. He could do that in the future, but he's still pre-arbitration. His progression hasn't been linear. It's up and down. I don't think this year would be a good time to do it, but in the future maybe, or would Kesson Hira be another good one to to maybe think about extending at this time? I don't think you extend Hira. I think he needs a year to show that he can still hit at a major league level to the level that was expected of him. He wasn't horrible this past year, uh, though he did end up having a, I think, a negative war on the year. But hitting-wise, you know, it, he he had a sophomore slump. He's got, I think, two more years of arbitration, so they have time to kind of let him play out. I don't think he'll end up being a Super 2. Uh, he'll be close, but I don't think he'll end up being a Super 2. So uh, there'll be three years of arbitration then that they can they can play with. Burns is interesting because he hasn't performed consistently for a full season. 2020 was a great year for him, and he did get Cy Young talk. But after that 2019 and then the short sample size of 2020, I don't think anybody, I don't think the Brewers think about an extension until they see uh, maybe not 2020 level of performance, but at least consistently good performance for a year. So uh, I don't see anybody else who really fits the mold for an extension right now. 
Yeah, I I definitely think that's fair. I when you were talking about Corbin Burns, you were gonna say anybody. And I would have argued there because if I was in charge, I would definitely <laughs> sign Corbin Burns. That is my guy. Um, but thank goodness for the rest of Brewer Nation that that is not a thing because we would be in major trouble if I was if I was at the helm. I'm glad it's David Stearns. Um, moving ahead to contracts that potentially the Brewers might want to get out of at this time to create a little bit more space and flexibility for this 2021 season coming up. Are there any particular guys that would make some sense to move on from at this time? You know, mainly thinking Avi Garcia, Lorenzo Cain. Is there anyone else that maybe could make sense? Um, or do you think it's better for to have those guys on the roster for the upcoming season? I think it's better to have Kane on the roster. Everything you hear is how great he is as a person and as a teammate. And I think that was definitely missed this year. Uh, and it really could have been used in this really weird year. His contract is what it is, and I don't think anybody else necessarily is going to take him. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, we could trade Kane. You got to find a trade partner, and I'm not sure there's anybody. You know, now that the Mets changed management, you can't take advantage of Brody. <laughs> it's true. It's not a great fit for Phillies. You know, Dombrowski, he loves making big splashes, but uh, they don't need that kind of outfield help. So I'm not sure I see – I don't see a place that would he could go to. Garcia – Stearns the other day mentioned that he thought that Garcia was a true bounce-back candidate who suffered because he was asked to take over center field. And, you know, he was really kind of – not only was it a weird year, but it was also a weird uh, – he was out of position and – his play is batting suffered for that again uh, with a he's getting 10.75 million uh, he's another one where it's you got to find a trade partner and i'm not sure you find one especially after last year it sounds like the brewers are really it's do or die based on yelich Hira, kane and garcia if those players all those players don't perform you know we're in for another rough year yeah, because that's like, what, 40-some million racked up in your outfield in payroll for 2021. So it, it certainly is do or die um, in that regard. And then you add into the mix, like, will Ryan Braun return? Doesn't sound like there might be a DH next year, so you might have to put him into this outfield mix as well, because we know if he returns, which we're all hoping he does, at least me anyway, he's not going to play first base, and there might not be a DH so they already declined his option, and if he's going to return to the Brewers, it's going to have to be on a new deal. So what do you think that contract could look like if Braun is to return next year? I think there will be a DH. The teams are Some of the teams are acting like there will be a DH. Mm-hmm. I think that was more posturing for the negotiations with the union than it was really a, hey, there's going to be no DH. The same is true with... They made a comment the other day, or the owners are starting to talk about a shortened season. Uh, I think that's a little bit of negotiation with the union, but I think that's more for the agents. Because the agents are hearing that, and now they're rethinking how they are going to do contracts. So you're probably going to see more contracts that include either a signing bonus or an option year with a buyout. Because that way they can guarantee that the players get that money 
and then the actual salary for the year might be less because they might prorate that. So you saw it with uh, like McCain's contract with the Mets. You got $600,000 as a signing bonus, which on a $40 million contract isn't that big, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a guarantee that you're going to get a decent amount of money even if the the season is shortened. Now, Ryan Braun, I do think there's a DH. Um, from the sounds of it, Council said he hasn't talked to him. Stern said he talked to him a while ago. And I don't think Braun really comes back unless it's really a normal year. He got a little robbed by the pandemic to kind of go out in a blaze of glory and have a full season of fans in the stands. I don't know if he really wants to I don't think I I know he doesn't want to play covid ball that it's been clear in all the reports. If he does come back, uh you have to forget the fact that they paid out his option cuz that was really money owed to him for previous years. That's sunk costs. They don't consider that with what they're doing this year. Uh and that's why they do those kind of contracts. With uh baseball contracts, you can pay people at four different times, and it's very strict in the CBA. You can give them a signing bonus, which is, you know, pay them right away. Then you have that year's salary, and then if you do the option buyout, the CBA treats that like it's another bonus, and that gets paid the next season. And then you can do deferred money, which still has to be funded within two years of the player playing. Um, that's why, like, uh, I, I saw some reports about Garza's last $2 million payout. That was funded years ago. There's an account that that's, it's got that money sitting in, dedicated, waiting for it. It's a matter of the check. It doesn't even affect payroll. If they took in no money this year, they could still pay that $2 million to Garza. So all the money that Christian Yelich is going to get to, like, 2050 is already funded? <laughs> so... The CBA says that you have to fund it within two years uh, by the the July 1st of the second season after the season they play. So worst case scenario is they could be paying it out like two years after each year. But I think Brewers are a smart team. They've got somebody who deals with wealth management as an owner. Uh, Actually, several owners are in wealth management. I'm willing to bet that they, they funded it right away. You know, it, it's the Bobby Bonilla day thing. They owed him $5 million. That turned into $35 million by paying it out in the future. They didn't really pay him $35 million. They invested $5 million. Actually, with the Wilpons, they probably did have to pay it because of Bernie Madoff. But in theory, if you did it right, that $5 million turns into $35 million because of investments and stuff. Wow, that's really interesting. So if the Bucks were in the... MLB, they wouldn't still be paying Larry Sanders on the cap because that's the thing that actually happens in the NBA. <laughs> the uh, baseball is a lot simpler when it comes to you know technically they don't have a cap. They have the the CBT threshold that the teams seem to treat as a cap, but there really is no cap. If I was the union, that's the first thing I would attack next year. Uh, in negotiations because there's literally nothing they can do to try to work around that because it's it's not a hard cap it's the owner it's the teams treating it as a cap so you can't do there's no reason to even do or allow the manipulations that happen with the 
like the, the NFL cap. There's things that they could do to make different salaries and contracts fit. And uh, I don't follow NBA very much, but it clearly looks like that's even more convoluted uh, as far as those, the mid-level exceptions and all those things. With the baseball quote-unquote cap, that's just because teams aren't willing to spend the money to go past that. And there's nothing that they could do to add to give teams the ability to manipulate and go around that because the teams themselves just aren't doing it. That is a lot of information that I had never heard before. So <laughs> that was that was really cool. Thank you for for sharing all that. That was that was awesome. I am going to move us to probably the most controversial topic of the Brewers offseason here. So since last year, I mean, everyone's been talking, do the Brewers trade Josh Hader? Do they not trade Josh Hader? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of speculations from no matter what side you are on. Um, so let's just start with the arbitration process. You already mentioned he's going to make, you anticipate him to make the higher end closer to that $6 million range this year. If the Brewers keep him here, what might his arbitration value be the season after in his potentially last year of arbitration of, you know, assuming he performs to the level he has the last couple seasons? The reason I think he's actually going to get the, the higher value this year is saves are a big deal, and he led the league in saves in 2020. He did what was asked, and um, you know he's a great player to begin with. He's got good stats. He's a two-war reliever, which is pretty good, and now he, he has the saves numbers, so I expect that. If we, can, if we think that he's going to be top five saves, Going forward, you could look at Jonathan Papelbon, who he was compared to last year, but Papelbon had a lot more saves. Ken Giles is a good one, and Blake Trien's not the best comp to Josh Hader's skills, but somehow he still did pretty well in, in arbitration and ends up being a, a decent comp for him as well. So Josh Hader is a super two. So not only is he in arbitration this year, but he's in arbitration for two more years. So this year, if he gets that around that 6.8 million and he continues, uh, you could see it being somewhere like 10 to 11 million next year. And with a super two, there's not a huge jump between that third and fourth year usually. So you could be talking about something like around 13 million for that fourth year. That assumes, though, that you know he performs to the level that he's performing. Okay, yeah, good correction there. Two more years of arbitration. <laughs> um, good to know. Let's say, obviously, I don't think the Brewers would ever want to sign him to a deal because given the, the trade value that he has, um, but you look at like top relievers like Kenley Jansen, a couple of years ago he signed that five-year $80 million deal. That's, what, an average annual value of 16 mil? If the Brewers would ever fully dedicate themselves, whether it's this year or two years after arbitration's up, I know, again, it's hard to predict. We don't know how he's going to perform, but do you expect him to maybe get close to Kenley Jansen money if he stays a Brewer, or is that just totally unrealistic? I don't think he gets Kenley Jansen money uh, if he stays a Brewer. I think uh, when he hits free agency, if he's hitting free agency and the Brewers still have him, He's going to another team. I, I don't think the Brewers have a philosophy of really paying a lot of money for relievers. And honestly, you got Devin Williams behind him. 
you've got a couple young younger talents who probably will start coming into their own. You know, you look at Drew Rasmussen and you, you dream a little bit there. I don't think they they the Brewers do that kind of deal. But I I could see them getting Kenley Jansen money. Just not in Milwaukee. Just not in Milwaukee. Okay, so I asked the question a little earlier about Avi Garcia and Lorenzo Cain, um, about, you know, does it make sense to keep them on the roster? There's been all these trade speculations. Um, I don't even know if we're to the point of rumors yet. It just seems like Brewers Twitter is telling me that he's going to be traded, which I don't love that idea. I think he's too good to keep on this team, and $6.8 million it's a lot of money, but for the type of player he is, I feel like that's well worth it. What are your thoughts on that? Like, is the player that Josh Hader is, is he worth that money in this year where the money is an issue so much after a, fa- a season with no fans, all of the implications that go into that, you know, is that 6.8, is it worth it to keep Josh Hader on the team or are you looking to trade him for, you know, whether it be prospects or a third baseman or something like that. If I'm David Stearns, you know, I'm listening, but it's got to be a pretty good offer that really helps the team. With the Brewers, you know, they don't, the, with their philosophy of outgetters, that means they're not really running the starting pitching out past the fifth inning, usually, which means they have to have a good bullpen. So I think there's a lot of value that Josh Hader provides to the team because you need to have a very strong bullpen if you're you're only going to Blake Snell your starters and <laughs> uh, keep them up. Uh, you know, if your starters were more like Max Scherzer where he could go seven or eight innings, then Josh Hader's value is a little less. But you need that strong bullpen and... I, I don't think the 6.8 is is a horrible salary for this year. Yeah, and I think a lot of what happens this offseason like, plays into this. You know, not having Knebel, who we're not really sure what he's going to be the rest of his career, but also outside of Devin Williams, there's not a lot of those higher leverage relief pitchers that we can truly trust. You mentioned Erasmussen. Yeah, his stuff is fun and and hopefully he goes up to that level of being in those high leverage spots, but we don't really know at this point. There's a lot of those young guys that we just don't know. So I, I love, I love your answer here um, at Matt Carroll or MKE Matt, make sure you listen to this because we're keeping him. We're keeping hater. It makes the most sense. Paul told us before that he can turn off his fandom for a little bit to talk numbers. I can't do that. So (laughs) him telling me that it makes sense to keep him on the roster. David Stearns, I hope you're listening. Well, I think that's why David Stearns values him more than perhaps others do is if your starters are only going to go five innings, that means you've got to fill another four innings and you got to do it well. And you can't leave that, you know, uh, yeah, uh, you like to dream on uh, players like Drew Rasmussen and Topa, but they're not established performers, mm-hmm. and they're probably only going to do an inning at a time this year, especially. I still think they kind of pick up some middle inning relief, 
there there seems to be a few of the people out there that are uh, on the cheaper end so they'll they'll bolster the the bullpen a little bit you know you brought up Canable and it's a shame that they couldn't keep him but the problem is uh, I've heard people say that you know his ceiling is elite uh, an elite pitcher I don't know if you know that's really his ceiling anymore and the reason you keep Hader at that money and not Knable at five million is you know what Hader's ceiling still is. Mm-hmm. He's he's more of a sure thing. If Knable was a sh- more sure thing, uh, I think they would have found the five million. That's a good way to put that into perspective. So I guess hopefully you're talking about ceilings. Like hopefully after this 2021 season, we can still say. Devin Williams' ceiling is strikeout king of the MLB. <laughs> that would be a good bolster to this bullpen as well, because that's what he was last year. Tyler, Tyler, if we're talking about thinking of ceilings, we're going to have Drew Rasmussen as a strikeout king, and then Devin Williams just behind him. Then we can start thinking about, you know, trading Josh Hader at that point, because then we're, as you mentioned, you know, it just is having more availability back there and, and trusting in the guys. Like if you, if you have Josh Hader and a bunch of guys that you might trust and, and those guys, they go out and perform and perform well. And you're starting to get a little bit more trust in those guys and, and you're seeing them develop and getting closer to their ceiling, then I can understand it. But we just got like a, our toe dipped in the water with guys like Topa and Rasmussen. So we need just a little bit more out of them to see if they can be constant contributors at the major league level. Yes. Yep, most certainly. And I can't believe I just heard the words potentially trade Josh Hader out of your Not mouth. This year. Not this year. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, that was a really fun and interesting dive into the financing side of the Milwaukee Brewers and the MLB and everything in general so thank you for joining us here paul again you can be found at brewers numbers on twitter definitely a great follow this was a lot of fun and we'll have to have you on again to to reevaluate some of these things at a later time so thanks for joining us today oh thank you for having me this was this is a blast